chapter 14. Book of Mark, chapter 14. Thank you. We, uh, we're continuing uh, our study in the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. You know, usually I think what happens a lot of times is Easter comes around and we we make a big event out of it. It is a big event. And then we drop it so quickly. But what I like to do every now and then is kind of follow up and uh, continue the story on. And uh, that's what we do today. Matthew chapter 14, verse number 66. We're talking these days about post-resurrection appearances, uh, changed lives. Uh, one of the big changes that took place during this time was the change in Peter's life. Uh, God shows us here in the word how he makes Peter a stronger believer uh, through the failings of his life. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth, but he denied it. And what I've done is I've put a little one right there, number one. Uh, the first denial of Peter, of Christ. He denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch, and the rooster crowed. Now, whenever that rooster crowed, he probably should have, uh, something should have clicked in his mind, because he heard that before, the crowing of a rooster, but it didn't register. And the servant girl saw him again and said to, said to those who stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. And I've written in my Bible a little two, number two. Second strike. A little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. And he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Number three. Three strikes. You're out. A second time the rooster crowed. Then, then Peter called to mind the words that Jesus said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Here we find a, a story of Peter. Peter's trying to get going as a follower of the Lord, and he's having a rough time of it. Uh, but uh, what happens after the resurrection is Peter plunges into, uh, he plunges into a spiritual slump. And uh, the Lord appears to him in a special appearance after the resurrection of Christ. In fact, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 says. The Lord appeared to Cephas. Now, Cephas is the Aramaic name of Peter. And so Peter gets a special audience with the resurrected Christ. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, uh, Paul says this, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Uh, you know, everything hinges on the resurrection. And so there's, we just have to be thinking about this all the time, because the resurrection is the key to everything related to our faith. If there's no real resurrection, then our preaching, our meeting, our all the things we do is empty and void. 
uh, it uh, is without a cause. Uh, but uh, the resurrection is God's exclamation mark to his ministry. Whenever Jesus uh, started out in his ministry, one of the first things he did was uh, go to the temple and he cleansed it. It was becoming a very dirty place. Lots of huckstering going on, lots of buying and selling, and when money starts changing hands, bad things usually happen, and uh, it was happening in the temple area, and Jesus went in, he cast out the money changers. He turned over their tables, he, um, he caused uh, havoc to say the least. And they came to him and they said, listen, by what authority do you do this? Show us a miracle. I never could understand that whole story, really. But what they said, listen, we'll go along with your program. Just show us a miracle. And Jesus made this statement. He said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it again. And, of course, they were, they were, they were caught back by that statement because they thought he was talking about Herod's temple which had taken 46 years to build, and Jesus was going to, like, rebuild it in three days. The scripture further says that Jesus was referring to his body as the temple. And so what he said is he made this prophecy about his resurrection early in his ministry. One of these days when you destroy this temple, I'm going to raise it up in three days. Well, the resurrection of Christ validates Jesus' claims. And I think this is the most important thing for us to remember this morning. I've listed some blanks on your notes there. You see those little lines there that you can write on, and I hope you will. Because it's the claims of Jesus Christ that are at stake on the foundation of the resurrection. I'm going to give you some of his claims. They're really outstanding, first of all. Jesus claimed to live a sinless life. A sinless life. That's one of his claims. In John 8, he says, who convinces me of sin? Come on. Jesus claimed that he was the only way to God. John 14, 6. Now, I know that we live in a culture that says everybody's going to God on their own road, and eventually we're going to all get there. We're just taking different paths. Well, according to Jesus, that is a false statement. That is not true. Jesus said, I am the highway to heaven, and if you're going to get there, you have to come on my way. You have to come on my highway. John 14, 6, I am the only way to heaven. Another claim that he make, made is that he shared the glory of his fathers in heaven with him in John 17, 5. He was in heaven before he came to earth, and he's going back there. Another claim that he made in Luke chapter 5 was he was able to forgive sins. Your sins be forgiven you. Now that's quite stupendous, isn't it? Another claim that he made was uh, that he was a heavenly king. His kingdom was not of this world, but he was a king. Another claim that he made is uh, that he claimed to give everlasting life. Remember he said in John 10, I give you eternal life, and you'll never perish, neither shall any man pluck you out of my hand. Eternal life. Then in John 17, he said he was going to die and come back to life again. And so all of these claims are in jeopardy if there is no resurrection. Uh, if there is no resurrection, this is, these are meaningless claims. This is just like talking to the air. 
This is a claim that you could make if you went downtown Pittsburgh and got on a soapbox in Market Square. And you could make all these claims. Well, there's a couple more. Uh, he, re- he claimed that he was going to return to judge the world in Matthew 25. And for those of us who believe his claims, we believe this could be right around the corner, right? Jesus is coming back again. And I'll give you one as a bonus. Jesus said in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. That means if you're looking at me, you're looking at him. We are one in our essence. And so these claims are all at stake in the resurrection. If Jesus' body were still in the tomb, these claims wouldn't mean anything, really. They would just be uh, made by somebody who probably made them up. The empty tomb is the initial sign of the resurrection, but there has to be more than that. If not, the lie that was propagated by the disciples, the stealing of the body of Jesus, uh, to pretend a resurrection would be believable if there's no contact with Jesus after the discovery of the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday. How then do we know he's alive? Uh, Lee Strobel, you remember the little book you got a couple weeks ago in church? I like that book a lot. The guy is a good writer. He said, by itself, an empty grave does not the resurrection make. Uh, There's a lot at stake in the resurrection. Uh, It not only validates the claims of Christ, but it validates Bible prophecy as well. It goes all the way back into the Old Testament, and it validates what was said in the Old Testament. Paul said in his resurrection chapter that the resurrection was according to Old Testament prophecy. Uh, remember, the resurrection chapter is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, it says in verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. Now, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you understand that the Old Testament is filled with prophecies about the crucifixion of Christ. It's just loaded with them. You know that. He went on to say in verse 4, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture says. And so not only is the the crucifixion prophesied in the Old Testament, but, but the resurrection is prophesied as well. What scripture is he primarily referring to? Psalm 1610. That's the scripture. Let's read it this morning. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Sheol was the place of the dead, the grave. And this is a prophecy concerning Christ in the grave. Christ's body would not see corruption. Now, how do we know that this verse actually means that? Uh, We could uh, think maybe it means something a little bit differently. Well, Peter, when he was preaching on the day of Pentecost, referred specifically to it as a fulfillment of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts 2, 24 through 27. Also, the Apostle Paul referred to the same verse in Acts chapter 13, verse 33 through verse 35. And so Peter said, this is the verse in the Old Testament that prophesies the resurrection. Paul said, this is the verse that prophesies the resurrection. Well, Isaiah chapter 15, there are other implications there related to the resurrection too. 
Now, the Jews, in keeping with others in the eastern lands, believe that corruption of the body set in on the fourth day after death. I don't know how they got that. Jesus was raised on the third day. This verse says, the Holy One will not see corruption. This gives significance to Martha's words concerning her brother Lazarus. Remember, she said to the Lord, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ puts the stamp of well done on Bible prophecy. It puts the stamp of well done on the claims of Christ. The resurrection was a unique resurrection. You know, when you study through the Bible every now and then, you'll come across a resurrection. Eight instances there are in the Bible of a resurrection. But we have every reason to believe that these were not raised an immortal body, but they died again. Not so with Christ. Christ's resurrection was unique. He was raised an immortal body, never to die again. When uh, Luke was writing the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1, uh, he was talking about the life of Christ. And uh, he said this in verse 3, Christ presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Now, that word infallible kind of piqued my interest. Infallible, without error. Luke says, listen, there were so many proofs of uh, the resurrection. And they were the appearances, and these were infallible proofs, being seen by them for 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Uh, On the day of resurrection, I think there were five appearances of Jesus. The first one, which we heard about last Sunday here in the church, was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is a picture of a person who had been robbed by Satan of some of her life. She was possessed by how many demons? Seven demons, right? And uh, Jesus spoke the word, and those seven demons departed quickly. But I think that Mary Magdalene carried the scars of demons in her life for the rest of her life. She could have had some physical scars because on occasions demons were noted as throwing people down on the ground, physically overpowering people, and maybe she had some scars from that. Mark chapter 5, verse 5 says this, And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Demons were making this person cut themselves with stones. Well, there's no telling uh, what Mary Magdalene went through. But these demons, they did know who Jesus was. In fact, if you look at it carefully, you'll find that they called Jesus the Son of God. I believe this, that one of the most delivered is the most devoted. In our church, there are people that have been delivered some, from some pretty heavy stuff. Can I have an amen? You've been delivered. And you know, when the Lord delivers you from pretty heavy stuff, I think it would uh, evoke in you, uh, create in you a desire to be Uh, more devoted to Christ. (coughs) More devoted. 
that was Mary Magdalene. Then there, there was the other women. The other women, was the, they were the second group that Jesus appeared to. And that's found in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. These other women were women that we learned that provided Jesus for financial reasons. They followed him. They provided money for him. A lot of times people, a lot of times people think that, you know, Jesus, who, who was God, just fed himself by miracles. But Jesus didn't do that. Uh, when Jesus wanted something to eat, he had to go to the store, like you do. Like you do. Remember, he was, he was, he was approached by uh, Satan in the, his temptation. And Satan said, I know you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus refused to do a miracle on his own behalf. He didn't come to do miracles on his own behalf. He set that aside. And so when Jesus got hungry, he had to go to the store. He had to come up with some money. These other women that he appeared to were people who supported him financially. You can check that out in Luke 8, 3. Uh, He needed the funds uh, to make it. Uh, Money has always been needed in the ministry. But But whatever the Lord plans, he provides for. And so I think that Jesus appeared to these women uh, to show how important they were in his ministry. And then he appeared to Peter. Peter was the one whose faith faltered. You know, the story of Peter is a miracle, isn't it? That someone so common could be infused with so much spiritual power. <coughs> but Peter had a shaky start. He suffered from pride and overconfidence. How many people here this morning have been, have crumbled whenever pride has taken place in our life? That was the cause of his downfall. Look over to verse number 54 here. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Every time I read that verse, he followed him at a distance. Something goes on off in my mind. Uh, this is something that no Christian wants to do. No Christian wants to follow at a distance, do they? Every time we follow at a distance, bad things happen. Uh, This is why the Lord says, listen, I want you to stay close to me. I want you to stay connected. And so look at verse number 72. And when he thought about it, he wept. Peter thought that, uh, in fact, he said, though everybody else will forsake you, I won't. And now his worst nightmare has come true. He's forsaken the Lord. Do you see the word wept there? That word wept means this. It means that he cried out. He began to weep. Uh, he broke down crying. There are several words in the Greek language for weeping. One is just that word that 
That means you get a little teary-eyed. The other word is when you break down, you lose it. That's what happened here to Peter. He lost it. In your Bible, you could write this. These were tears of repentance. Peter is repenting here. You know, when you follow the Lord, you have a lot of repenting to do. You know that? People in the world don't understand what repentance is because they have very little conviction. They can do anything and feel good about it. Well, a Christian can't do anything and feel good about it. He can do anything, but he won't feel good about it. The Holy Spirit will convict us. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, he moves us toward repentance. Peter is crushed right here, and he is repenting, and he is sobbing, and he's breaking down, and he's realizing that this is the very thing that he never wanted to do. This is, good re- this is good reason for you and me to not be so dogmatic about how strong we are. Uh, we aren't very strong in the final analysis. Uh, we do disappointing things when we f- follow the Lord afar away. Uh, one of the main thoughts of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament was to stay close to him, stay in close connection. And I think almost every one of us who have been saved any length of time will know that as soon as you start to drift away a little bit, bad things start happening in your life. And when you get back up in fellowship with the Lord, good things start happening again. Look over to Luke chapter 22, please. Luke chapter 22. Verse number 31. Peter was warned of this by the Lord. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. The word asked there means to request back for himself. Now, follow this closely this morning. This reminds me of the story of Job in the Old Testament. Remember, Satan came to God. How about Job? We find the same thing right here. Satan has come to Jesus. And he has asked for you. He has desired you back for himself. You see the word you there? The word you is plural. And what that means is that all the disciples were there and Jesus was talking, first of all, to them. And he's saying to them, Satan has come to me and he wants all of you back. Now, this makes a lot of sense. He wants all of you back for himself. That's exactly what that word means. So whenever we give our life to Christ, Satan really puts a bullseye on you. He wants you back. He wants you back in his fold because you are a threat to his kingdom. And so he wants every Christian back. Uh, But that he may sift you as wheat. And what does that mean? That he may crush you and separate you from me. The goal of Satan for you and me is to separate you, to separate me from fellowship with Christ. He wants to get between you and Christ. He wants to crush you. Now, this is a warning to Peter. Uh, but look, what, look at verse number 32. But I have prayed for you. Now, the word there is singular, and he's talking to Peter specifically. That your faith should not fail. 
And when you are returned to me or are converted, strengthen your brethren. Now, this is so instructive right here. Uh, I think that this comes on the heels of verse number 24. Look up there. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Right before Jesus gives this message to Peter, the disciples were getting together and they were looking at each other and wondering who was the greatest. And I think that people might have said in the group of disciples, we think Peter's the greatest. And Peter probably said, well, I think you're right. I think I am the greatest. And so what happened is Peter's head is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're, they're having this argument about who's the greatest. And you know, when you start thinking you're great, what happens? Pride, right? Attacks you. You become a prime target for the devil then. And so right off of the heels of this argument of who's the greatest, we find this warning. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you are, have returned to me, the omniscience of Christ... He knows here that, uh, that Peter is, of course, going to fail to deny him. But he says, when you come back to me, I have a job for you to do after that. You have to strengthen your brethren. Well, John MacArthur said, Peter failed, but his faith was never overthrown. Does this ring any bells with you? How many times have you failed? How many times have I failed? But our faith has not been overthrown. Peter never ceased to love Jesus, but he was overpowered by fear and the instinct of self-preservation. That's a pretty strong instinct, you know that? And so Jesus prayed for faith, not the removal of the test. The Lord knows that you and I will be tested and tested and tested, and uh, Peter was. This was a hurtful experience to Peter, but it was used in his life as a refining instance Incident. He wished it wasn't in his biography, but he learned from it. And that's what we're supposed to do. He failed forward. He failed forward. Chances are you will cave in one of these days when the fire is put to you. I don't want to be pessimistic or prophetic, but that will probably happen. But our ultimate victory is secure because Jesus is praying for us as he prayed for Peter. Our faith sometimes falters, but it will prevail as Christ mentioned here to Peter. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying, and I want you to notice what he's praying for. Let's read it. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. The Lord's praying for you and me, and so our faith is secure in his hand, not ours. And so, uh, turn over to one other passage of Scripture in John chapter 21. Let's look at another instance here. John chapter 21, Jesus appears again to Peter. And uh, they went fishing, and they were very unsuccessful, and Jesus told them where to fish, and they were successful then, and And in verse 15, it says, but when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, Jesus is going to give Peter a chance here to to um, reclaim himself, so to speak. 
to uh, do the right thing. The first time he denied the Lord, now he wants him to confess the Lord. This is very, very interesting. So this is what he says. Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, remember it was Peter that says, though everybody else will fail you, not me. I'm the guy. And we saw how that worked. Peter went around saying, I'm the guy. I'll stick with you. They might leave you, not me. So the Lord comes back and he says, now listen, Peter. Uh, do you love me more than these? Now, what's Peter going to do? Now, the word love here is the Greek word agape. And so in your Bible, write a little A there. Agape. That means commitment. That means complete commitment to Christ. The, com the commitment kind of love. Agape. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, you, in the English Bible, it's the same word, but in the Greek, it's not. In the Greek, it's the word phileo, which means friendship, love. And I understand that there is a translation that translated it, I am your friend. So, so Jesus says, do you really love me with a commitment kind of love? And Peter comes back and he says, I'm your friend. I don't think that's what Jesus really wanted. But let's look on and see what happens. Uh, I phileo. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Now the conversation didn't end there. He said, I have a job for you to do. I want you to feed the people of God. And he said to him again the second time. And so Peter's thinking, second time. This is getting familiar here. Number two. Uh, the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Agape. Do you love me with that strong commitment love that you should have? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I, phileo, I'm your friend. Peter brought it down. Peter said, I'm your friend. Jesus said, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, and now Peter's getting the message. One, two, three. I've seen that number before. I deny the Lord three times. Jesus now has given me three attempts to come back. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, Jesus changes the word here and uses Peter's word. Do you love me like a friend? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me like a friend? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you like a friend. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, this is interesting. So Jesus comes back to Peter and he says, Now, Peter, are you sold out to me? Peter wouldn't go there. He was there before. He was the guy who said, I won't let you down. You can count on me. Peter was honest with God. He was honest with Jesus. He said, Jesus, this is where I am right now. He probably wished that he could have responded with this agape kind of love, but he couldn't. But the interesting thing is Jesus met him where he was. Jesus didn't slam the door on him and say, hey, listen, come back and talk to me later when you, when you get more committed. He didn't say that. I think Jesus wants us to be honest with him and just to 
tell him where we are. And you know, God meets us where we are, not where we wish we were, not where someone else wants us to be. He meets us right where we are, and he wants to take us from where we are to his goal. And it's a good thing, because none of us would go anywhere if he didn't meet us there, right? Where we are. And so, no matter how we respond to this verse today, uh, Jesus wants to meet us where we are and to take us on. And that's exactly what happened in Peter. Peter was honest with God and said, listen, this this is the way I feel right now. And the Lord says, I want you to feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And what he meant is, Peter, I have a ministry for you in the future. Your life is not over because you denied me three times. Your life is not finished. In fact, you've got a whole lot of living to do. And so that's my message to you this morning. We failed the Lord, all of us have. We've denied him in many different ways. But I'll tell you what, the Lord doesn't want us to live in the past, sit in a corner and lick our wounds, and be depressed because of how uninspirational we've been as a Christian. He wants us to move forward. He wants us to, to admit where we are and to see in our heart a desire to go further with him. And boy, I'll tell you, Peter did that and he went, God used him in a mighty way. Read the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts. Read first and second Peter. And when you read first and second Peter in light of this message this morning... Uh, you'll see Peter really learned a lot of lessons because this is what he said. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Peter had to learn that. We all have to learn that. He said, I learned it. I was humbled. But now the Lord lifted me up. Uh, And so we, we trip. We make mistakes. We deny the Lord in different ways. Uh, The Lord says, listen, I have a job for you. When you repent, when you repent of those things, feed my sheep. I got a ministry for you. Uh, I think that's the message for all of us this morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, uh, maybe this is where you are. You're a Christian. You can remember a time, a place, an experience in your life that you opened your heart to Christ and And there was a difference in your life. and Maybe through the twists and turns and the challenges of life, maybe you you had an experience that just uh, kind of maybe devastated you and discouraged you as a Christian. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling, you know, I'm not of any value to God. Uh, I tried that. Didn't work for me. Uh, Listen, God has a future for you. The Lord has a future. The Lord didn't give up on Peter because he made this blunder in his life, even though it's etched in his resume. It's in his biography. He can't get rid of it. It happened in his life. It wasn't the end. Actually, listen to this. Actually, it was the beginning. It was the beginning. And so look at yourself in that light today. Don't look at yourself as just a a has-been Christian. Look at yourself as someone who has a future with God. Because he has this great way of mending things and turning our heart toward him and, and breathing new life into us as we draw closer to him. 
If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can do that right there in your seat. You can invite him in. Just pray a prayer of repentance and faith. Lord, I, I believe in you. I receive you now. I've broken your law. I turn from my sin. Uh, accept me. I accept your forgiveness. Just pray that prayer in your heart. The Lord will come to you. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we can have in the word this morning and all these lessons we've learned about Peter today. I pray that you'll help us to apply them to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we uh, sing our song of invitation. If you'd like to come and pray. Encouraged today. Thank you guys, everybody up here. Boy, you guys did really well today, didn't they? Thank you.
Thank you. We appreciate them a lot. Thank you for being in church this morning. I hope you are encouraged in the things of God. Uh, let's go out there and uh, live this ministry that the Lord's called us to do it. All right. Turn around and shake hands with your neighbor. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>